1: Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, assuming he's still staked out in Chicago. The NBA Draft Combine is going on. He had some really good video, among other things, yesterday of Trace Jackson Davis of IU and Cinagrove Grove. Dustin DePurak of the Indianapolis Star joins us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Though, Dustin, before I get into that, would you think at all the Pacers would have any interest, especially given their massive shortcoming on the defensive end and bringing back Dan Burke? Man, um,
2: that's a good question. I I, I don't know. Listen,
1: I don't know. Relationships are such a big deal in this, and I have no idea if Carlisle and company, you know, have a relationship. I'm just thinking, I guess, Dustin, in terms of Uh, they really suck defensively, and he's a defensive guy.
2: I think so. The reason I would say no, like my first Blanche thought is no, is because uh, you know their their defensive guy right now is Ron Norad, and that's an indie guy, and that's one of those ones where I think taking him out of that job um, would um, it, it, it'd be an interesting one. From a would you um, have to kick him out though? You wouldn't have to kick him out, but I think they like him. I think Rick Carlisle likes him. I think what he would tell you is that that he hasn't gotten the raw material yet, that that's more of the issue is that he, you know, the the biggest issue is his best, their best players are better offensive players than our defensive players. It's less an issue of, you know, defensive scheme or whatever. I mean, and, and obviously this is, I'm not the best X's and O's guy to see things. Like this, but like T.J. McConnell was a guy who understands defense. One of his quotes that he often says whenever they lose is, "We keep getting the right answers to the test, and we can't get it right." Um, you know, that basically he's he's like, I think Nora, you know, Ron's uh, a head coach quality guy. I think he always gives us great game plans, but we just don't execute it. But part of the reason they don't execute it is some of the best players just aren't great defensive players you know Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Yield are not nearly as good of defensive guys as they are offensive guys and I think that's something that they're going to try to address in this draft and then this offseason is get more of a balance and be able to put out uh, lineups that um that That have more defensively, but also there's they're going to have to be work on the off season. I mean Halliburton came out and said, and I gave him a lot of credit for for just sort of acknowledging this. he's like i'm getting overpowered at the point of attack he, he said you know I'm, I, and he said, you know I, I consider myself an elite off ball defender. you know he was top five in the league in steals, he's generally where he's supposed to be. Right. Said, but when I'm just one on one on a guy I'm losing, and that means I got to get back in the weight room because I'm getting overpowered by guys, and that's your best player." You know, that's the guy you have to play the most. He's got to be out there. He's your point guard. And it's like when you're having to hide him and then you have to hide Buddy Heald, you know, you're at a disadvantage. So that's why Andrew Nemhard and Aaron Leesmith are on the floor all the time, and they're just okay offensive players. You know, I mean, I think, and and Nismith, uh, basically, the, the the positions you know uh, shake out in such a way that he's your four. But I mean, he's always defending really ones and twos and maybe threes. Um, so a lot of times you might find yourself hiding a buddy Heald or somebody like that on a four man. He's losing that pos- he's losing that matchup. Uh, so you're having to shake it up and 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 move some other guys in and, and move guys around. Um, and they just I don't think have had um you know where where, where they have some pretty good offensive flow more or less they're not the best offensive team in the league or anything like that but with Halliburton and Heald, you get a lot of really good spacing get a guy like Mather and that's the guy who's got to get better defensively on an individual level that's not so much about x's and o's and where he's supposed to be but that guy's got to be able to stop some people and he's got to be able to know you know how to read off ball situations better so I think a lot of this is individual um and I think Norwood can get better at that, but I think it does require, you know, a lot of off-season work and literal physical building. And Halliburton came out and said it, like, I need, he, he said, if I don't, even on days when I don't touch a basketball, I'm going to be in the weight room. You know, I'm not going to, I might have days where I don't pick a ball up, but I'm not going to have days when I don't lift. And I've never had that before. And, you know, I mean, just historically, he has not been a very strong guy and he's skinny now, but he was a whole different level of skinny as a high school. Like this is progress where Tyrese is, and he's not a very muscular guy. So he knows that that's an area where he's got to get better. So I'm going to say I don't think – I think they really like what Ron Norrett brings um, you know, intellectually to the job. You obviously saw what kind of defender he was, what kind of leader he was at Butler. He's only gotten better since then. I think they really like him uh, as a coach, and I think more, more they're going to be focusing on getting better defensive players through player acquisition and making the guys they have better individual defenders. So I think that's the biggest thing I think is just to get better in one-on-one matchups and win those rather than lose them.
1: I haven't looked up what Philly was defensive. But, you know, if you can just like maintain with that defense, which is Mm -hmm. not very good whatsoever, then job well done by Dan Burke, because that is not a group that jumps off the page at all and says, hey, we're going to get a defensive stop right here
2: right yeah and that, that's the real issue is just you just look at these bodies and say that you know <laughs> there's issues there and so there's, there's a lot has to go right and so again it, it comes down to you know I, I think if they if they don't get the number one overall pick i think you'll see a focus on defense and who they draft uh i think that's going to be very key in, in in the way that they're going to continue to build this roster Carlisle said it that you know a, a few times uh down the stretch that that is something they're going to be very much looking towards individual uh man-to-man defense who's better at that is going to have a lot to do with who they add to this roster
1: so you're suggesting if they stay at seven then then they're not going to draft grady dick correct
2: yeah that's what i'm saying uh i would be very surprised <laughs> if they drafted grady dick because yeah, he can't yeah, guard, he can't guard
1: you right now so yes
2: yeah yeah exactly I and mean, he can shoot the lights out and he I think can. he's going to make somebody yeah. very very happy i mean and he just uh at the combine yesterday he was he was lights out <laughs> i mean he was he was on, uh, shooting the basketball. So whoever gets him is going to be happy to have him. I'm not trying to, uh, make fun of Grady Dick at all because he is going to be a problem, uh, for people shooting the basketball. But yeah, I, he's not as much of a priority for the Pacers because they need somebody defensively. I think if they stay at seven, I think Jarrett Walker is, it really makes a lot of sense. Uh, they need rebounding at the four-two. This is a bigger guy who can defend multiple positions, a lot of the length. Um, if they stay at seven, I think he's their guy. Obviously, if they get the number one pick. You pick Victor Wembanyama, and you don't look back. Um, but if, if they stay at seven, I think Walker is a really smart move for them. Uh, if they landed number two, right? Brandon Miller. That's can, that's an interesting one. Two, two to four is really interesting for these guys. Uh, I, I think Miller is. You have to strongly consider that, but you also do have to consider. You know the, the, what you have to explain. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, he wasn't a guy that was spending a lot of time in trouble, but, you know, he is, and, and, and he'll never get charged. It's not like there's a scenario where you can imagine, um, you know, if, if the legal situation goes somewhere where he'll get in trouble, he won't because it wasn't his gun. Um, but we're talking about a gun and a killing that he is, you know, one degree of separation away from. Um, and so that's going to have to be explained. You're going to have to make your, you know, big top five pick and then have to tell everybody why you picked him. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's a tough scenario if they're in the top three. He obviously fits for them from a positional standpoint. I mean, was, I don't think he was a great defender, but obviously he was an exceptional shooter with a lot of length that maybe you could make uh, into at least a pretty good defender and certainly a good rebounder. Um, but, you know, I mean, Scoot Henderson's also a special player. Now, do you take a guy like Scoot when you already have a guy like Tyrese? It seems like both of them need the ball. Can you have both of those guys? What kind of issues does that create? So, I mean, it, it, they're almost like there is a way in which life is a lot easier for them. If they're not going to get Wemba life's almost easier. For them, if they're uh, maybe four, but even beyond, uh, you know, basically them picking at seventh is not the worst thing ever. I think really what's more important for them is make sure they just don't get jumped by someone's behind them. Uh, I think that's that's a key issue is making sure they're not getting pushed back to eight, nine, or ten um, because you know somebody that with a better record than them ends up you know getting uh, one of their ping pong balls picked. If they stay at seven, uh, I think they're in pretty good shape.
1: Do You think they'll stick to philosophy of going? for a guy that has a defensive prowess? Not more so than they do offense. All these guys could play offense, really, right now. I mean, all sure, of them. Yeah. But is somebody that gets tagged with, um, without maybe others, his contemporaries getting that similar tag of being a defensive type of guy, you think they'll stick to what they said at the end of the season?
2: I think they will. Um, I mean, again, it depends. I mean, if there's somebody on the board there that is just an obscene, obscene score, like I said, like I think they'll have a hard time – yeah, I don't know what you do if you get the number two overall pick and Scoot Henderson's on the board. I think that's that that's a tough scenario if you're them. And do you trade that pick in that case? Do you you know, do you look for somebody who really needs a lead guard? You know, really needs somebody that that can kinda of change their franchise and and see what you can get from them and see if you can get other assets. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what you do in that case. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, do you pick Walker over Miller at three? I mean, I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of st- still feel like he's such a talented kid that I, I don't know if you pass him up and you know, you, you take the PR hit and you live with it. Um, but I think if you are at seven, you do. Um, I, I think I, again, I, 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 don't see, I, I see Walker showing up right around there anyway. And so I, I think, again, you, you've got to have enough otherwise, but I mean, I think especially, you know, further down in the draft, you know they're obviously not trying to bring in all of these rookies, but I certainly think if they if they do end up taking one of those late first rounders, I think they'll absolutely make defense a high priority. Uh, it's it's going to be part a big part of their cal- calculations either way. Um, I'd I, I have to say that you know because again, you've got a league guard that you know can, can score for you and create plays. Um, you know that goes a long way. You have a couple shooters. You have a guy like Matherin that I think can can uh, really score as a two man. You know you have Miles Turner expanding his game expanding his game at the five, being able to score. Inside and out, and you have, I think, a, a few other guys on that list. You know, if, you, if you get another year out of Buddy Heald, uh you certainly have a real deal shooter. You know, you have some other guys that could put the ball in the bucket. It's just you really have to be able to stop somebody. Um, and so, I don't think you cannot add some personnel that makes you better defensively um again is it going to be every pick are they going to be able to pass up some guys some guys especially if there are two to the four who who are a better offensively than they are defensively i don't know but I, I have a hard time imagining that that still won't be a important part of the calculation i don't think they can go forward without a best, just adding at least one good defender out of the draft or free agency or something else, I think they have. They need somebody who moves the needle on defense this offseason.
1: So Dustin Dupirek of the Star. He's checking out uh, those at the NBA combine uh, among those would be one trace Jackson Davis. You had the video yesterday. what did you think he looked like all all in all from what you saw yesterday?
2: Yeah, he was okay. I mean, he, he didn't knock your socks off, but i mean, I think that the biggest thing was obviously just to see him shoot the basketball. I, I think that's what uh, a lot of talent evaluators have been waiting to see just what does it even look like? Cause they've never seen it. Um, in four years at IU, obviously we kept asking every single year that I was on the beat uh, before I moved over on the Pacers beat, okay, is this the year where he expands his game? Is this year where he stands out? And that really even goes back uh, to Senegrove in his last year. And, and and he was, you know, Zach Conner was letting him step out a little bit, uh, you know, because he obviously see where the game was going, that basically your foreman is, is asked to do uh, more and more on the perimeter. And I don't think it was the situation of fear, and I certainly don't even think it was necessarily a situation of coaches not letting him do it. I think it just came down to every year the question was you know on a play-by-play basis what's your best chance of scoring uh, and and you know especially in situations where Indiana wasn't very good and they needed every one of his buckets and they really needed to rely on trace it was like okay well your best chance is still getting him the ball you know low on low on the block and letting him go, go to work especially with that left hand there was nobody could really stop him and it was like okay you've got a 60 some percent chance of scoring a five foot two or, or do you want to step out and, and try to see if you can shoot 30 percent from three well You know, the calculation for that, if you're trying to win games, is pretty clear every single time. Um, But he just, uh, he was only doing so much to help his draft stock. And so now you come to the end and he's only taken three three three-point field goals in four years of college. And it's like, okay, well, at 6'9", you're not going to be able to do that. You're you're, you're going to have to step out uh, and take some outside shots if you're going to be able to play in this league and stick in this league the way that it's going with it spaced out as it is. And so you saw him at least put the ball in the bucket. You see that it's possible. Obviously, he wasn't playing against real defense you know he had a couple hands in his face that was about it and obviously it was sort of token defensive pressure um but at least saw that okay he can he can put the ball up from 26 feet and you know 27 26 27 8 28 feet and put the ball in the bucket it's 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 possible um and so i think that's that's important i think that matters i think the teams are be looking at him at late first round early second uh that it was there i mean he wasn't dominant in the drill work we saw um his measurements were, you know, I I didn't see his like actual like you know uh, wingspan or anything like that, but his sort of testing was pretty good. Um, it wasn't, you know, I mean, I think he was top six in the standing vertical right around 33 and a half inches, uh, as max vertical, he didn't, he didn't finish as high from as far as I think he was like maybe 36, 37 inches, somewhere in that range. Um, and you know, I think the guy who uh, was in first, last time I saw was Julian Phillips from Tennessee with 43. So there was guy with guys with more bounce. Um, and you know, I think he, he put himself in pretty good shape. Uh, I mean, he, he didn't light the world on fire. Um, Um, But he had, like, you would say he helped himself more than he hurt himself, for sure.
1: It's uh, Dustin DeFurek of the Stars on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Who else did you see up there?
2: I uh, saw a little bit of Jarius Walker. Um, didn't get to see very much of Zach Eady. I kind of just missed him. We, you know, uh, it was sort of odd finding out who was going when um, beforehand. Did, did like I said, get to see Grady Dick shoot the ball. Andre Jackson and Johnny Juzang, two guys that came to uh, Pacers camp, um, not Pacers camp, but but had individual workouts with the Pacers uh, on Friday. I thought both showed out really, really well. I thought Jackson really scored well uh, for sprints and jumps and you know everything else, and he also shot the ball pretty well. He even score. He's got a really uh, funky looking uh, look to him, uh, uh, as look to his jumper. Uh, he still put the ball in the bucket, so I thought that was pretty important for him. He's a guy that is uh, another guy that you know I think they could be interested in late first round, uh, or if they get that early second round pick, uh, depending on how the lottery shakes out. I think that that could be a guy they'd be interested in. He was a, a really important glue guy for UConn during that that title run. A guy who can defend multiple positions, uh, you know, rebound, shoot, pass. Uh, I mean, he could shoot just okay. He's not a big-time scorer, but I mean, he, he can pass. I think he's about a you know five-six assist a game guy, um, and so that that I think is a guy that I really took note of uh, as far as that's concerned. I don't think I don't think Jalen Butchafino. Uh, I, I don't think he tested at all. I didn't see him. Um, so like, and he didn't come out with his group. So I think he might have just done like kind of the you know measurement stuff. And I know he's doing interviews and that stuff like that. I know we're supposed to talk to him tomorrow, uh, but I didn't see him out there. So I think uh, uh, those were those are kind of the guys I focused on. Really focused on when he was out there, um, but uh, there was definitely some other guys I thought was interesting. Oscar Shibwe, I thought, uh, did a pretty decent job uh, of sort of selling you know his game. Uh, I thought Drew Timmy was okay from what I got to see. So there were some interesting guys out there. I thought, I thought, I thought Walker really tested well with Jairus Walker, uh, like who I mentioned earlier. I thought he, he seemed to show a lot of speed, agility, length, explosion. Uh, I think he, he jumped like 38 inches, somewhere in that range. Um, so he, he obviously, I think, did a lot of things he had to do to sort of show off his athleticism.
1: All right, compared to, Dustin, where the season ended, regular season-wise for the Pacers, and what's transpired for others since, you you kind of get a sense at all that maybe with teams looking to make some changes, we see them doing that with their coaches, but also ultimately they'll do it with personnel as well. Do you see maybe... a? player or two with availability that the Pacers may be interested in that you didn't see or we didn't know about at the end of the regular season?
2: That's a good question. I don't know that it stands out as anybody who definitely fits them. Um, you know, right out of the gate. I mean, I know there were some people that had their hopes on somebody like Jalen Brown. And I think uh, the further Boston goes, uh, the less of the a chance there is of that. Um, you know, I think <laughs> me and Matt we were talking about Draymond Green today. And I don't think that's one that makes sense. Because I think he's just such a big personality. And I think he would uh, come, over, come in and take over. And I don't know that that's something that the Pacers need necessarily. Um, but there's a lot of guys that are locked up, uh, you know, for a while. I mean, nobody nobody jumps off the board. I mean, maybe if they move, if the Sixers moved on from Tobias Harris, uh, that might be one that that might be worth looking into. I'm not sure off the top of my head, where his contract status is and how. I didn't think he wanted
1: to come here when when he ended up in Philly.
2: Yeah, know, years ago. Point. So if he's not interested in that, like I'm just thinking from a positional right. standpoint. Um So like if he wouldn't have any interest, then he wouldn't have any interest. But you know, like Wait, we were talking,
1: I was talking about this yesterday. I'll, I'll give you a little lead on this too. Um, yeah. I was gonna say, who, who no, I mean, right right we now? were talking yesterday with Alex Golden is setting the pace, and he had mentioned Jonathan Kamenga who um, mm-hmm. was That's a guy cool. that yeah. yeah a couple of years ago was, was drafted um highly in round number one by golden state really hadn't played that much. And, you know, after they were exited of the Western conference semifinals, you know, his representation and then him, he both, they both mentioned that uh, he would like to see, you know, what the future might hold for them. And, I guess you never know. He's an athletic guy, uh, can mm-hmm. guard out on the wing. Probably with more minutes, could maybe transition into something. That was just a name that Alex brought up yesterday.
2: Yeah, no, that, that's what that's one that makes sense to me. Uh, and, and I don't know. Again, like I don't know his whole scenario, um, right. but it, I, I liked everything I saw from him whenever I saw Golden State dig into their bench. Um, you know whether that was you know when the Pacers were playing them earlier this season. I thought he had some good moments. Um, I can't remember which game they were getting beat up in um, down the stretch. I think it was maybe. Four. there was one game that, that, that it got away from them pretty fast uh, down the stretch, and there was some interesting coming minutes, I thought, where he made some shots, again, showed some length. I think he's just... Muscled up pretty good that he can defend well, he can rebound well, he's a heck of an athlete. I mean, it just tells you obviously how much uh, depth the Warriors have, and, and, and the additional piece to it is just so when, you, when you get to playoff time, you know, just benches shorten so much. There are there are a lot of guys who get used to 20, 25 minutes a game, 15 minimum, that all of a sudden see those disappear when you get to playoff time, and I, I'm sure that's not something they, they love. And and I mean, I, I like a couple other pieces. I like Moses Moody a lot, I and mean, I get why Kaminga didn't play a ton, um, but uh, he he does. I, th- I think he's got a lot of promise, a lot of upside. And so, I mean, I don't know what Golden State would want. Um, I don't even know what, I, again, I don't totally know. No, no, no. It was, it yeah, it was right? clearly
1: just a, a dart and a dartboard kind of thing. So.
2: Sure. But no, it's interesting. I think, and I think there was a lot of those pieces. And I think, you know, you look at, um, you look at just how much they got out of Jordan Nora um, you know I mean I think the Pacers have a good sense of looking around and seeing you know there's a lot of talent around in this league that people don't use you know and um, that's that that's how much skill there is right now just in professional basketball right now there are a lot of guys out there uh, that are stuck um, because there's so many other good players that it's really hard to break in um, into uh, into a constant role in this league and you saw Jordan Nora barely ever got to play um, in Milwaukee and and shoot I mean I would talk to, uh, you know, Giannis is a great quote and he's a guy who hangs around for a while. The Pacers change changed really fast. So I got a, a, talk to, a chance to talk to Giannis um, after Milwaukee's last game in Indiana. And I asked him about Nora and he said, man, that guy's awesome. He, he's really awesome. And I'm really happy for him. We just didn't have an opportunity here. He says, but he is a terrific basketball player. Um, and so, you know, that's a guy who they found, you know, they, they, got literally for nothing. I mean, basically it was like Milwaukee was giving away a couch. You know, it was like, I can't have it in my house anymore. Can you take this? And, you know, they just Sure, if you're giving it away for nothing, absolutely. And that guy came out and he had what a 33 point game. Um, so I mean, I think they're going to be on the lookout for that. They're going to be on the lookout for those kind of players that uh, that they can get with minimal amount of investment. Because there's a lot of guys, that, a lot of teams that just have to move on um, from talent because they can't find any playing time for them. I think the Pacers absolutely will look at guys like that. And Kaminga, I think, is on that list of guys who would be interesting. Um, but I do think Noro still has a place uh, for this Pacers team. The ability to score at that position, he's not that great of a defender at the four, and I I think they're going to try to get out above him but i think they'll still keep him for that bench because i think he matters there
1: a lot of activity now uh, even beyond what we're going to see tonight where they're going to end up drafting with that draft lottery a lot of off-season activity coming out of the pacers in your estimation
2: yeah yeah there'll be a good bit i mean i, I think they do like a lot of their core pieces uh i, I and, and there are core pieces. there are Pieces that they, that they consider core that they would not have thought that way uh, going into the season. I mean, I, we've heard Kevin Fisher. got to talk to, him, uh, talk to him a few times toward the end of the season between, you know, Turner's contract extension and, and um, you know, just the end of the year and the trade deadline and, and, you know, basically getting some sense of his thoughts on this. I mean, he really likes Aaron Niesmith. You know, and he really likes Andrew Nemhardt, And I think if you would have you know, said at the beginning of the year, you know, do you, do you consider those guys core pieces that, that are, are guys you can't imagine moving um, at this point? I don't know that you would have said so. But I mean, I think he is—he really thinks that those guys are part of a championship uh, run or a playoff run or, or whatever. If the Pacers are going to whatever they're going to do with this group, uh, those two guys are going to be a piece of it. And I do think, um, you know, and, and I do think Buddy Hield's movable. But I think he has uh, they have a higher uh, appreciation for him than they thought they would. Um, so I, I think they're going to be slightly more hesitant to move some pieces just because they like some of the pieces. Um, not because they don't feel like they not because they're scared to make moves, but I think they, they definitely have a few guys that they're not ready to part with. Uh, so is it because I so. told
1: Chad Buchanan not to trade, mm-hmm. healed? And McCon. Yes, specifically. He, told me, he okay. told me
2: that specifically. He said, I, I can't sure. make j and be mad. Yeah.
1: yeah. I
2: said, <laughs> two essential pieces. Two
1: essential pieces right there to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be, if, if they keep Buddy, I mean, they... They, they do want to see him get better defensively. Uh, I think that is important. So he's not like completely off the block, but they do really like what he brings. They like his ability to spread the floor. They like the fact that they like what he does and really, how he fits in the clubhouse. Like, you wouldn't call him a leader or a captain necessarily, but he has a personality that fits. And their his interplay with Tyrese is really good. And they, they really want to keep Tyrese Halliburton happy. You know that's an important piece. They they want to keep him happy. They feel like if they keep him happy, they keep everybody happy. And for now, at least, I think Buddy Hield's a part of that. So you know they're uh, he he is. If if they're going to trade Buddy Hield, it's going to bring a pretty significant return. They're not going to give him up for nothing.
1: It's uh, Dustin DePurek of The Star. He's covering, obviously, the uh, NBA draft combine and doing more. And uh, be set tonight to see what happens in the NBA draft lottery, the outcome for the Pacers this evening as well. Dustin's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I appreciate you, Dustin. Thanks for hopping
2: on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: For well, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he is the voice of the Pacers. He is Chris Denary. Have you boned up on your Pacers NBA Draft Lottery history?
0: Uh, I have a lot of cheat sheets, John. So uh, I, I, I have, and it, it will be a very interesting night. I'm on my way downtown to uh, host an event uh, for Pacer season ticket holders and suite holders, and, and so looking forward to that. In fact, right now I am passing the legendary Bulldog.
1: The uh, Bulldog, shout on, out.
0: On, Col- on College Avenue. So
1: Our uh, friends yeah. on the Bulldog up there. That was a great stop we had back in November on this show.
0: Yeah, no question. So uh, yeah, so uh, excited about tonight. You know the odds are are very low. Um, you know that the Pacers will move up. It, you know it's funny when you look at all the numbers. They they have the seventh best record, virtual because of the tie with Washington. But you know they're I think the number that, you know where they their highest percentage to land is like eighth. So hopefully they'll have some good luck and uh, can they get to number one? Let's see, but uh, if they could get into the top four, that would be great.
1: Where would you rank? You've been around here forever. Where would you rank if the Pacers were to get the number one? Would that be the all-timer uh, I, of all-timers around here?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it. You know, you're know, you talking about uh, a guy in Wimbayama that is I, – I don't know if I've ever seen as much hype about a player. And then when you watch his video and you see the skill that he has and – uh, at the size that he is, I mean, he's an amazing player. So you know that things would, would definitely change from not just a national picture for your franchise, but an international picture. So uh, there's no question that uh, whoever gets the number one pick, uh, you would think it will be franchise altering.
1: So, Kristen I was going to ask you, but I'm not going to set you up like this because I know how much you love the Pacers. I was going to ask you, would you rather win the Powerball, the Pacers win the draft lottery tonight? But I'm not going to do that to you. I will not do
0: that oh. to you. <laughs> I my know chances of winning, my chances of winning the Powerball are probably nil, so I think that, <laughs> I think the Pacers have a better chance of getting the number 1 pick than I have of winning the Powerball.
1: 6.8 it is, and I saw Adrian Wojnarowski within the past hour and a half or so described Wim Mayama as the most highly anticipated player to enter <laughs> The NBA ever. And I can get that even more so than LeBron years ago. But he also added this, maybe the greatest prospect in the history of team sports. There's a lot of yeah, hyperbole so working there.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. There's no question about that. I mean, you think about the NBA and all the great players. And you mentioned LeBron back in the early 2000s. I mean, the GOAT, in my opinion, is Michael Jordan. But nobody thought that he would be what he was. You know Kobe Bryant was the you know a tremendous player, but people didn't you know have him on this type of list uh, when he came out of high school. So uh, you know part of it, John, is we're in a different world now. I mean, you can you can sit at home on your iPad or your uh, tablet, your phone, and watch live games from Wimbayama playing. And so there are just so many more things that you can see and do these days that uh, those things tend to resonate a little bit more than they did even, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, for sure 15 or 20 years ago.
1: So, Kristen via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Now, this is just kind of the start. This is the appetizer to what should be a rather robust, right, Pacers off-season.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, a year ago, I hosted a similar event. Uh, when the Pacers got the number six uh, draft pick. And, and I think that turned out quite well. And Benedict Matherin, who was All-NBA first-team rookie and had a sensational rookie year, uh, the Pacers were able to add Andrew Nemhard. And, and I think for all intents and purposes, John, you know, the improvement from 25 wins to 35 was was significant. And, you know, the team took a hit. There's no question they were much better in the front half of the season than they were the second half. And a lot of that changed when Tyrese Halliburton got hurt in New York uh, in mid-January. The Pacers were 23 and 18, and then went 1 and 9, and really were never able to recover from that. But I, I do think it will be significant. Uh, they they will have five draft picks uh, going into the draft. We'll find out again tonight where that top pick is, and and also that also uh, will be determined tonight in the lottery where that. Second round pick will be. It could be 32, could be 50. But if it ends up to be 32, John, the Pacers will have four of the top 32 picks in this summer's draft. So, with with you know players growing organically, I listened to your interview with Dustin a little bit earlier. Uh, players improving in the off season. Uh, last week, uh, you know, first and second year players were in the Ascension St. Vincent Center working out. I saw Daniel Tice. I saw Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, So that's significant. These guys want to get better, and they've got to get better organically uh, as individuals. And then the Pacers have, as Kevin Pritchard likes to say, a lot of optionality when it comes to the draft, when it comes to trades, when it comes to free agency. So I think you're right. I think tonight is just the start of what we will see uh, as a busy summer.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I I think that, yeah, optionality is something that Kevin Pritchard certainly has mentioned before. This may be, speaking of hyperbole, the, the most in that category that we've seen around here forever.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there have been some years, you know, go back a number of years, the Pacers did not have a first-round draft pick. Um, you know, two years ago, they were able to acquire a second first-round draft pick and pick up Isaiah Jackson. Uh, that's the draft they had, both Jackson and Duarte. And then last year, I mean, I think we all watched him. Andrew Nemhard played like a first-round draft pick. So, over the course of the last two years, I sort of counted as they've added four first-round players to their roster, and this year, as we sit here today, they could add three more. Now, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to, with five draft picks to add those because you don't have roster spots. Now, you do have Uh, two-way deals the NBA has gone from two to three two-way deals so uh, yeah it's the the Pacers have a real chance uh, to add more young talent to continue uh, to build to this team but they also have the opportunity uh, because you know they want to make the playoffs next year they've taken the steps that they've taken and and this team wants to be in the postseason next year so are they able to use draft picks to acquire players that they're interested in? That's that's why I, I think tonight is the start of a very interesting offseason.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, it may be, again, hyperbole, which I guess is the subject matter for our conversation here. Yeah, you haven't seen as much of that in a long period of time. Uh, In terms of things they're able to do, both within the draft, outside the draft. And I will say this, some disagree with me, but I think for the most part that I'm accurate. This seems like it's a time with Halliburton where all of a sudden now this place could be more of a destination of interest than it has been here in a long time. You know, again, maybe too much hyperbole going on. But it seems that way on the surface, something they can build into.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I, I I believe, I mean, Tyrese in my mind, he's a sensational player. We saw what he did this year. I think he's like the Pied Piper. And I do believe that players gravitate to him. Clearly his teammates have gravitated to him. And I think there will be other players in the league that will gravitate to him. So the Pacers are in a good situation. I mean, John, with the new collective bargaining, uh, which, which, again, you got to give a lot of credit to Adam Silver and, and the Players Association for uh, just, you know, getting that done. But there are a lot of teams that, that don't have a lot of optionality. And then there are a lot of teams, and we've seen it here, that they did not achieve their goals, and now all of a sudden they've made coaching changes, they're going to have to make roster changes, Uh, they don't have the flexibility that the Pacers and some of the younger teams have. And I go back to, you know, 2010-2011. The Pacers snuck in as the eight seed. Uh, They were beaten by the Bulls four games to one in the first round. But that really set the table uh, for the next year when the Pacers acquired George Hill and David West. They had the young talent in Paul George and Roy Hibbert, Lance Stevenson. And then the next three years went to the Eastern Conference semifinals and twice to the Eastern Conference finals. So there will be a lot of changes made throughout the NBA, and I think the Pacers want to be in position uh, to take advantage of those changes as well.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned some of these teams that are locked up player personnel wise with a out a lot of options you know phoenix being one uh, you wonder about the 76ers as well as another there are others in a similar category I, I hate it when other teams allow themselves to be had and let these teams wiggle out of this so me. You find your own way out, and I guess that's a way to do it with taking advantage of another team. But it always makes me laugh when these teams that decide to go ahead and just sell off the farm for this one player or whatever, and they end up going down in flames. You know who's the first guy that's going to get the blame is going be, to be the head coach. I, it's funny. You look at a guy like Doc Rivers, Chris, uh, they had the opportunity to close out at home, right, in what, game number five? No, Game 6. Game 6 at home, they had an yep. opportunity, and they didn't do it. Had they done that, he's going to be fine. But that Game 6 and then that embarrassment in Game 7 was the difference between him moving on as a coach and uh, and staying in Philadelphia. It's just kind of amazing how all this works out with these teams that have these elite-level, so-called elite-level players on them.
0: Well, and then there's Phoenix. I mean, you know, I, I really have enjoyed watching Monty Williams as a head coach wherever he's been. And they made the decision. And, and again, Kevin Durant is an iconic player. I mean, he's going to go down historically as one of the greats ever in the NBA. But to acquire him to add to Booker and Aiton and Paul, they really gutted their depth. And they had to give up Cam Johnson and Mikkel Bridges. And so all of a sudden, uh, when you're in in a series with Denver, who's a very talented team, Phoenix just did not have the depth uh, to stay with a team of that caliber. so And then all of these teams, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers and, and the exact part of the CBA, but there, there are more tax restraints now. If you're going to spend a bunch of money and go over the tax, it's going to cost you a lot, and you have a lot less flexibility than you've had in the past. So, yeah, a number of these teams, John, while they'll still be good because they have really good players, they're a little bit stuck.
1: Now, Kristen Airy, voice of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. you mentioned at the outset of the conversation that you're hosting something tonight for the Pacers, for season ticket holders and sweet holders.
0: Yes, uh, we've done that. Uh, we did that last year. Uh, we're, we're doing that again tonight. And then uh, I know we'll have a draft party just like we had last year. So it's a great opportunity for, you know, those who support the Pacers from a season ticket standpoint, uh, you know, sweet holder standpoint. Uh, to, to really, it's the it's the start of next year, and so uh, you know that's that's part of what I love to do. It's not just doing the games; uh, it's being uh, it's being a part of the franchise and and participating in special events like this. So yeah, looking forward to that tonight.
1: Well, there has been some good fortune. That trade was fortunate. The drafting of Benedict Matherin was fortunate. Uh, the the Phoenix right? Matching the uh, the offer sheet for DeAndre Ayton was good fortune. So maybe they can follow up with some good fortune right here tonight. Maybe.
0: Yeah, I'd love to see it. I mean, and then throw in, they got involved in that 14 trade that ultimately sent Durant from Brooklyn to Phoenix, and they were able to bring back George Hill, who I thought, you know, was terrific in his role. And as Dustin said, Jordan Wara. I mean, that's a guy that that I think you can count on in some type of role as this franchise moves forward. So, yeah, uh, hopefully the luck continues. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton will be on the stage representing the Pacers tonight in Chicago. And uh, I think ESPN hits the air at 730, and then uh, the lottery is at 8. So, uh, you know, hopefully it was disappointing last year because I think everybody felt that the Pacers had a chance to move up a little higher and I think fans were disappointed with yeah. the sixth pick. They were not disappointed with who they got, though, uh, a month later in Benedict Mather. and So uh, hopefully there will be some optimism tonight, and uh, we'll see what happens.
1: No, you're absolutely right about that. No, you, you can. They, they, that's part of the good fortune right there is making that pick and having that pick play the way as a rookie as he did. Even with the ups and the downs, you know, you could see him making his mark and what he could be. Uh, with maturation and moving forward and you can see that with the team as well. I talk about this all the time they gave Pacer fans around here hope that the moves that they have been making and continue to make are the right ones to make them better and you saw signs of that and really it is similar I brought this up too of what the Colts would be necessary in doing this year is help building a belief because you're right this time last year there wasn't a great deal of belief this time this year you Fast forward that now, uh, there's certainly much more in that category.
0: Yeah, no question. And I think, John, and and we've not been on for a while. Uh, You know, I haven't been on for a while since the season ended. But I know when we talked late in the year, I kept saying the crowds have been amazing. Um, And everywhere I've gone uh, since the season ended, people have talked to me about they can't wait for next season because they enjoyed watching this team play. Do they want them to win more? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do they do they want them to be a playoff team? Absolutely. Uh, but there's an excitement because you can see something building. And I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun as well to watch the Colts. You know, uh, before I got the Pacers job, I did what Greg Rakestraw did for a number of years and hosted the Colts postgame show. And so with Anthony Richardson and their young players, I mean, I, I think it can be an exciting time in Indianapolis for the two uh, pro franchises. And then, you know, I'll throw in the team that I was uh, – you know, with for a number of years, the Indiana Fever. They've got a lot of young uh, players. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, in some ways at times it's hard to be patient, but I think think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these young teams grow.
1: But uh, Chris denary got you covered if you're a season ticket holder or a suite holder at the event for the Pacers tonight. And, of course, it they will be uh, going over with a fine-tooth comb, I'm assuming they're live, with Chris being the host. Uh, what happens with the Pacers tonight in the NBA draft lottery and then the offseason should be incredibly fun. It is good to have you back on, too, by the way.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure I'm looking forward to, an, uh, what, next Friday, my annual visit live uh, to JMV at Carburation Day. Because oh, I'll be out yeah. there, of course, uh, turn four for, I think it's year 22 Yep, uh, on the IMS Radio Network, taking a handoff from Jake Query. So uh, we'll be out there uh, rehearsing uh, that day uh, for Carburation Day. We'll be streaming on IndyCar.com, and that's sort of our day to, you know, get get stuff ready, and uh, I know that I, I always love stopping by and, and joining you uh, live there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway.
1: Do you guys rehearse during the laps that are going on? How do you rehearse that?
0: Yeah, we call it just like it's the race. Um, I mean, it's, we, uh, we we just get into it like we're calling the race, and so it's a lot of fun. It's uh, And for me, it's good because you know, as you know, I'm not a regular on the IndyCar radio network, so I just joined the group at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so it's a chance for me, you know, over that two-hour period, uh, to sort of get back in the groove of calling uh, cars on the track, uh, you know, in my position in turn four. And so, they, they give yeah.
1: you—they give you an important spot, though. Turn four, there's some importance right there. You've had some stuff over the years.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've had—I've been very blessed. I mean, in in, in in some good things that have happened to drivers and some bad things that have happened to drivers. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always honored and privileged to be a part of it. Um, you know, I, I heard you with Doug Bowles, and you guys were talking about the blackout. Uh, what, what it means for us is uh, the city of Indianapolis and the surrounding area, the way that you follow the race, is listening to us right here on your station. And uh, it's it's something that, you know, does not go past me. I You know, when the race is over, John, that next week, I'll have people from all over the country, other NBA people, you know, people that I went to school with or whatever. I mean, they may be in California or Texas, Ohio, wherever they might be, and they'll hit me up with an email or a text saying, hey, it was my my tradition. I listened to you guys uh, on on the Sunday before Memorial Day. So uh, always honored to be a part of it and looking forward to it, uh, you know, in a short while. Man,
1: that is awesome. So, how long are your? Um, how long do you try to keep it? As far as what you say each and every time they go to you.
0: Yeah, I mean it's probably you probably have what eight seconds. I mean it's right. not very long, right. eight to ten seconds. And uh, you know, Jake and I um, have he, he sort of drops it at the wing and the wheel in the middle of the the short shoot on the uh, the north end of the track, and then I try to drop it. I'm sitting on the outside of the track, and in fact, I, I'm really at the start of the straightaway. So I've got to get out of there fairly quick for Mark James to have him. Uh, so I'm going to say it's it's five to eight seconds, yeah. maybe a little bit longer. And there may be on you know there may be a few times where you keep it a little bit longer, and there may be a few times where you keep it a little bit shorter. And there's even a few times where they'll tell you, hey, we're going to go from Jake. Uh, to the booth because they've got something going on so uh it's as i told people john it's as much like television as it is radio from the standpoint of how many people are involved there are pit producers um you know there's a lot of people on air there's a lot of moving parts um it's really cool to be a part of
1: it's, uh, Chris Denary right there. Of course, the voice of the Pacers with their event going on at Cambridge Fieldhouse tonight. Then, of course, coming up on Carb Day, they'll go through their walkthrough or, um, yeah, their, their run through, if you will, their practice time. And then the 107th running of the Indy 500 is a week from Sunday. He'll be in turn four. We'll talk to him on Carb Day at Pagoda Plaza as well. The voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary on the Eddie Moore Automotive Group hotline. It's a pleasure to have you back, my friend, and uh, we'll catch up with you a week from Friday. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, Greg Rakestraw, who has been on hold, is with us now. So what is the deal with changing up? Why is everybody in the state of Indiana so against the one and one Why?
0: Uh, because people need
3: something to be butthurt about would be my first response no, to wait, wait,
1: Well, am I butthurt about it because they're taking it away, or are they butthurt about it because they wanted it changed?
3: You know how many times teams at a maximum would shoot a a one-and-one-and-a-half previously? How many? Three. Three. Then why are we doing this then? Uh, It's a a National Federation of High School rules change. What the hell do they know? So, So when the National Federation does it, you're kind of obligated to do it. Secondarily, this is the rule in the WNBA. This is the rule in women's college basketball. I generally like the idea, especially in men's college basketball, of going to quarters and resetting the fouls because you shoot less free throws in that fashion. The one thing that I rarely ever say about a high school game is that we need to improve the pace of play. Like rarely do I go, man, this high school game has taken forever. I feel that way sometimes about men's college basketball. You don't feel that way about women's college basketball. So uh, I'm, I'm not against the rule. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but you would think that some people have lost a beloved family member the way they've reacted to this over the course of the last 24 hours.
1: Oh, you're talking. Oh, so you're talking about me the way I've reacted not, to it.
3: I have not had a chance to listen to the show today. Oh, I, I thought,
1: I thought, I thought that you said that the people were butthurt and wanted the one in one taken away. No, no. So I'm you're not, talking about the butthurt gonna... people like me.
3: I have been amazed at the it. amount of people that have screamed bloody murder oh, on we Facebook love it. about shooters love not it, non-shooters don't non-
1: Non-shooters, non-shooters love this. Shooters love the one-on-one.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, what I'm saying is, man, I got bigger fish to fry. I don't care. No,
1: no, you're um, right about that, and that's what I, I
3: mentioned. Again, too. And again, I, and I think the, the, it, it's a pace of play thing. In other words, you're you're going to shoot fewer free throws by doing it this way. Um, I think that can be a problem in college basketball. I never think that's a problem in high school basketball.
1: So this uh, federation group's got the smarts real good is what you're telling me here, Greg?
3: They are the national federation, John. And their offices are within walking distance of where you're broadcasting well, from right now. So la dee da Let's go over there and see. walk down the canal, they've got a sign out front and everything. You can go <laughs> lobby your complaint if you'd like to.
1: Can I go protest in front of their office?
3: What I would do is I would take like your own our own Nerf hoop, and I would continue to brick the front ends of one one and ones, and that could be your way of a not so silent protest.
1: Three point three is enough for me. Three point three is enough for me. How about that? I, the
3: fact that you thought of that off the top is pretty impressive. I like that. Thank you.
1: I'm good rhymer right here. Always have been. So, am I not the only one? Then have others complained and complained vigorously about this?
3: Well, that that was the point of my uh, butthurtedness about others <laughs> Wha- watching. And again, I, it's it, it's a good thing to be involved. with. there's this group called the Indiana High School Basketball uh, Fans on Facebook uh, because okay. they are they, they are a you know it's a great target for us as ISC. Let people know, hey, here's where our game's going to be. Um, it is also sometimes a good exercise in making me want to headbutt a wall repeatedly in reading some of the comments. You should never read the comments, John. Um, perhaps only in the FUBAR lounge is it acceptable yeah. to read the comments because it makes for great talk show fodder. Well, I thought about uh, that when so, I
1: was reading the topic of Joey Hart about two months ago. I said, I'm not going to read those comments. So.
3: Right, yeah, ignore that. So kind of the same thing. Again, it's, it's people making a mountain out of a molehill. Um, I, 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 I don't think it's a big deal. I'm not against it, but believe me, uh, this is—it's an infinitesimal percentage of importance to a high school basketball game. Switching from the one and one to the two shot foul.
1: It's a Greg Racer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Speaking of Joey Hard, uh, he decided to uh, decommit from Central Florida. He's wide open again. Think he's going to end up in Terre Haute, or is it someplace else?
3: I think it's certainly a possibility. I, I can't claim to know, uh, you know the younger Joey all that well as to whether he'd like to stay closer to home or whether he'd like to, you know, go far away as he was planning to down in Orlando. You know, obviously, given everything that has happened with his dad, I'm, I'm not sure which direction that is going to go in. Um, you know, Central Florida is making the move to the Big 12. Do I think athletically he was that level of a player? Maybe a bit of a stretch. Do you think he could come in and be a contributing player for Josh Hurts at a place like Indiana State right away? Absolutely. When you make a move like that this late in the game, rarely do you kind of go up, so to speak. Oftentimes you kind of go down a perceived level. I'm not saying he's going to Division Two, but I think if somebody locally, as in an Indiana State, Ball State, IUPUI, et cetera, end up landing his services, they will get a steal. I think the kid can really play and athletically I think he's got the
1: goods. All right, we are loaded up today, by the way, too. This is kind of awkward time to have you on, Greg, so we're going to go a little bit shorter than normal. But I did want to give you a chance uh, to talk about this weekend. You out at IMS, certainly, and your schedule coming up. And um, and obviously, some of this stuff we'll be talking about beyond the rules, changes, and things of that nature high school-wise when it comes to track, when it comes to softball, when it comes to baseball. What's, what's on your radar right now moving forward?
3: in terms of what the weekend's going to look like, uh, I'm going to have some JMV-level shifts on the fan because I've got like four-hour shows nice. uh, coming up this weekend. So um, I will be responsible for nine hours of radio coverage on this frequency on Saturday and Sunday. So 10 to 11, 1 to 4 on Saturday. And then on uh, Sunday, uh, I will have 10 to new, ten to two. And six to seven, I'll have great help. I'll have John Herrick, Kurt Darling, Mike Thompson, etc. Guests lined up, like Paul Page, going to stop by for a little bit, talk about his new book. I'll have him on Sunday afternoon, other guests that I am working on as well. But this is the time of the year, other than, say, Colts postgame show time, that I have the most airtime on the fan. So we'll have you covered all weekend long for all things Indy 500 qualifications on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I appreciate you jumping on here. By the way, the Indiana State-Missouri game didn't happen, I saw.
3: Missouri bailed on them. <laughs> yeah. Is that because they got – were they scared? Missouri saw it seemed to was ranked in the top 25, but they probably thought they were scheduling a win, and all of a sudden that game didn't happen. Um, if, if you read the press release that was put out by Indiana State last week um, – you can pretty much read who made the decision to cancel the game in about the first five words of it. So uh, clearly, somebody decided to bail on the Sycamores. Oh, Missouri! Um, oh yeah.
1: man! Yeah, babies. All right, man. I appreciate you more than you know. We'll catch up this weekend.
3: See you, brother. And again, I, I have a wonderful request already in my mind for Saturday night. I can't wait to call the can't wait to call the takeover <laughs> on Saturday.
1: I'll be ready, buddy. Thanks, man. See
3: you.
1: On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he's a part of the history of RTV six. He's a part of the history of the Pacers doing TV. And hi, Heidi, how you doing? He's a part of history in broadcasting in Indy, and now does it on Motor Trend, still for Meekum and the Meekum Auctions. Scott Hoke joins us now. Hello, Scott.
4: JMV, how you doing, oh, my friend?
1: I'm so much better after hanging around with you and John today. I got all the we knowledge just- in the world.
4: We had a good time, didn't we? It was a lot of fun, yeah. and we saw some debate, you know. And I, I think I'm going to coin a new a new thing for your initials, JMV. Just more vehicles. That's yes. what we
1: need. That's it. Just know? more vehicles. That's it. <laughs> that 76 Cadillac got me thinking. Oh. Got me thinking. I was Pesci in Casino there for a minute, going out with Man. the showgirl to the parking lot at the Leaning Tower. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you guys, your your listeners, you guys would have been. Just astounded at how quickly JMV took off oh, yeah. after this kind of a uh, kind of a coffee with creamer colored four door <laughs> Cadillac. It was humongous.
1: Yes. But man, you were all over it, dude. It had me at CB in it. It had a CB radio with it. <laughs> I went, wait a minute. How much is this right now? I need it.
4: So. Exactly. Nah,
1: you got you and John were, were fantastic. When are you guys getting on Motor Trend TV? When does that start this week here?
4: We kick it off tomorrow at noon. We go noon to 6 o'clock uh, here, local time, six hours tomorrow. And then I think they turn around and repeat the show the, in its entirety from 6 to midnight. So it's wall-to-wall Mecham all week long. So it's noon to 6 tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 24 hours uh, of live coverage from the Spring Classic, Dana Meekham's 36th original Spring Classic.
1: Hey, Scott, I mentioned, too, you used to work at RTV6. You used to work with the Pacers as well. You have a huge footprint broadcasting-wise here in, in central Indiana. Had for a long time. How long have you been involved in the Meekham broadcast and how awesome has that been? Because all I could do is remark about how lucky you are to have that gig.
4: It, Yeah, jmd I'm very blessed. Um, exceptionally blessed. I, I love what I do. Uh, it's it's a couple of loves that I have of broadcasting uh, and automobiles, and they just kind of converged. And the story is totally a God thing with me. In in March of 2008, uh, I was sitting in my uh, in my living room on the couch, and my phone rang, and and the voice at the other end. Uh, was a gentleman named Terry Lingner, who many of your listeners may know from uh, Saturday Night Thunder, Thursday Night Thunder, very, very well-known and respected guy uh, in in racing and television all over the country and in many parts of the world. Uh, And Terry said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? Literally tomorrow night. I said, well, I've got another commitment. He said, well, what about next Saturday night? And I said, absolutely, I'm in. And that was the very – we were here at the fairgrounds. We were in the chicken barn, and we did six or seven consecutive weekends, March, April, and then May. We skipped Mother's Day that year. And that was kind of our first quote-unquote season, and it was basically kind of a pilot uh, program that was on what what is now Motor Trend, but back then used to be called – HD theater right and and here we are 16 years later still going strong meekon is by far the world's largest collector car auctions by any measure uh, and we still love what we do and we have an absolute blast at it it's
1: uh, Scott Hoke, again. Motor Trend is where you're going to find it, Motor Trend TV. He and John with the uh, Mecom Auction from noon until 6 tomorrow live and then a replay from 6 until midnight. So for the folks in central Indiana that are tuned in right now, maybe give them a bit of a thumbnail sketch on, on what they can see when they come out there just past the normal. There are a ton of cars because there's always a theme, and I thought John said this very well, there's always a theme to where you think – that last year was the best until you see it this year. And then until we see it next year, it's amazing how they continue to top themselves in that category. So what is this year? What's the theme? What's the focus on out there this year?
4: Well, I, yeah. And I'm, I'm with John Cramon. I'm with you uh, and everyone. When You know, we leave the event at the end of the weekend saying, wow, how are we going to top this next year? We said the same thing at Kissimmee earlier this year. How are we gonna top Kissimmee in twenty twenty four? But the big the big maybe singular main attraction out of a, a number of them is this car called simply called the Black Ghost. That's what it has been nicknamed over the years. It is uh you know, we know how popular street racing was back in the in the original muscle car era, back in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And and this particular 1970 Dodge Hemi Challenger was raced by a guy named Godfrey Qualls up in Detroit on Woodward Avenue. And this guy, he was a police officer. And despite the fact that it's an amazing car, the story is really what, what takes this car to another level because this guy would show up at night at the street races and he would kick everybody's tail and then he would just disappear, you know, and that's how he got his nickname, the black ghost. Cause the car would, would just, you know, lap everybody and be gone. And if, if people, people had no idea who the guy was. Uh, but if you were there, you knew that that was the car. If, when he showed up, you, you were everybody else was chasing second place. So that car is going to cross the block on Friday. It is in the same condition. It's been in the same family since Godfrey Qualls bought it when it was brand new. It's got some interesting options and additions to it. But that is the story of this car. It's nostalgic. It's memories. It's history. It's on the National Historic Vehicle Registry for crying out loud. Uh, and, And it's just such a legendary car that surfaced a few years ago at the uh mccacken show up in chicago and now it's coming across the block changing hands for the first time potentially uh if it sells um on Friday afternoon here in Indy. It's going
1: to be amazing. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, Scott Hoke, Motor Trend TV. Uh, he's got you covered, the uh, central Indiana native of RTV6 and of the Pacers in the past. He's kind enough to join us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go as well, what else of interest is out there just besides a great time? You talk about being entertained from the time you enter the buildings until the time you leave. That's what you get. What the Mecham auction is, is, that good?
4: Absolutely. There's three There's three dynamics going on here. For people that have watched it on television, there's the TV show. And we, we really appreciate our viewers and love the fans that are so kind. But there's also the auction itself and what's going on in the Coliseum with the cars that are selling and, and creating a lot of buzz. But the, this is also, like, the world's greatest car show. I mean, you could go around. There's terrific vendors here. The cars are on display. Plenty of food. By the way, JMV, did you do the Dodge Thrill ride today? I did
1: not because I was afraid I'd get nauseous before the show.
4: Oh, you wimp.
1: Come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I went to the auction block instead and hammered the gavel.
4: <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yeah, well, I didn't we'll do cut, that. I'll cut, I'll cut you a little bit of slack. But, but, but people can jump in a Charger or a Challenger Hellcat. And, and with a professional driver and get thrown all over the inside of the car. That is really cool. It's one of the coolest things to do out here. but there's just so much to see it. You could buy Mecham, uh paraphernalia, memorabilia, uh, Meekin gear. Uh, and it, it's make, it, make a day of it. It's so cool. It's just like automotive overload. All at the same place. it's crazy.
1: Nah, it really is, man. It was fantastic to see you out there. Thanks to you and John for that guided tour you put on um, for us and the VIPs. It was uh, it was fantastic. That's a job well done, Scott. It's always great to see you too.
4: Yeah, likewise, and you as well, and I'll keep t- tabs on that Cadillac for you and let you know where it goes. And if it's if it's still available, we might be able to make you a deal.
1: And then get me out to Monterey sometime. I want to go to that Monterey event one of these days.
4: Hey, you're in. I, I know a guy. Awesome. I know a guy that can help you with that.
1: Awesome. Scott, it's great to see you, too. We'll be watching on Motor Trend, and have a great weekend here at Indy with your gig, man. That's fantastic. Thanks again.
4: Okay. Okay, brother,
0: thanks for having me on. I appreciate it very much. Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Meekum's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at meekum.com.